don't have the clapboard on me. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was better. <laughs> Hi, Sophia. Hi, Austin. This is going to sound so much better when all of our, our two voices aren't right over top of each other every time. Agreed. I liked your DIY literal clapboard intro. <laughs> that was wonderful. How are you doing this fine May day? I'm having a little bit of um, tooth trouble, Austin, if I'm being real with you. So if I sound weird, it's because my mouth won't work. But I'm here. I'm excited. Everybody Love. at home can't see it, but Sophia's make, been making the best faces for the last half an hour. I look like a crazy person. I look like that person that, like, if you're in line at the grocery store, you stand a little bit farther away from them. Um, Even further than usual, because it's already two meters distance now. But, um, sh- that was a good one. That was really good. six feet for you Americans. <laughs> oh. um, how's it going, Austin? I'm not too bad. I'm running off of three hours of sleep and no coffee, but... We love that for you. I'm thriving. Welcome to the Dark Young Things podcast. Um, <laughs> this is an episode where... Dark old we're, things. We're rough. Um, we're here because, you know what? When, when real life is kind of a little bit garbage, it's nice to have books or plays or writing to delve into. Let me tell you. I already blew this spiel with Sophia once already, but... <laughs> This week, we're talking about the play adaptation of the film She's the Man. Love, She's the Man, about it. Young Amanda Bynes in her prime. Young Channing Tatum, he's always in his prime. It's a beautiful story. Um, Luckily, Shakespeare saw the movie, um, and he decided he wanted to write a play about it. So, lucky for us. He changed some of the things around. He changed the setting. He changed the time period. But, you know, still still carries, I think. We won't be too critical for him about it. <laughs> no, we'll let that slide. Um, I want to tell you that I know that I've told you this anecdote before, but my favorite line in She's the Man is when Amanda Bynes is coaching Channing Tatum to be able to talk to girls. And she's like, yeah, you can just talk to them about anything. They're just people. And he's like, like, what? Like, what do I say? And she's like, you know, you could, you could ask them about, like, cheese. And he's like, cheese? Like, what? Like, do you like cheese? And she's like, I sure do. My favorite's Gouda. And my friends and I would quote that to each other all the time because we thought it was hilarious. And I was rewatching the movie like during the pandemic with my mom. And essentially I was like saying this whole movie word for word, but this part in particular like had me in peals of laughter. And I looked over at her and her face was completely straight. Like she did not think it was that funny. I was going to swoop in and steal the line because you just told me. <laughs> To go, I'd be like, I can guess what your favorite line is, but I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was. So, actually, hilarious. No, it will forever be imprinted on my brain. Like important things, like test questions, nothing. I've got nothing, but um, irrelevant movie quotes. I'm your girl. <laughs> okay, so for real, we're talking about Twelfth Night by Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, a little summary for you. Um, if you haven't seen She's the Man or you haven't read Twelfth Night, um, Viola gets washed up in a shipwreck. And she goes to Illyria, and eventually, through some strange circumstances, she ends up masquerading as her brother, Sebastian, her twin, who she presumes is dead. Spoiler alert for the rest of this, just so in case you want to go read this. I'm not sure. But a bunch of, like, circumstances arise, and essentially, Viola is, um, like, not cosplaying, but maybe the original cosplay uh, of... um, she pretends to be Cesario, 
and her brother, like Sebastian. And she pretends to be a guy. She's working for Duke Corsino. She loves Duke Corsino. Duke Corsino loves Olivia. Olivia does not return the feelings. She's still in mourning. She's like, get away from me. Um, But then when the Duke sends Viola, who's masquerading as a man, to go send letters to Olivia, Olivia falls for Viola, but does not know it. And here we lay our scene. (laughs) Not fair Verona, but in fair Illyria. (laughs) So this is your first time reading the play, if I'm not mistaken, because you just told me that 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Um, yes, through a shocking turn of events, I brainwashed myself into thinking that I had read this in high school, but it turns out I had just watched She's the Man and had assured myself that, well, I've read this. <laughs> it made for a pleasant surprise because then we both got to read it for the first time, I think. I've, I've read it before, actually. I think. Oh! So we switched places. Originally, I thought like I was going to be like, oh, Austin, this is the play. And now he's going to be like, MTV, welcome to my crib. Except instead of MTV, it's me. And instead of the crib, it's Twelfth Night. But <laughs> the feeling is the same. And we're pumped. I think this was the first Shakespeare I ever read in grade nine. Wow. I'm pretty sure. I think it was Twelfth Night, grade nine, Romeo and Juliet, grade 10. Oh, really? I thought everyone did like Romeo and Juliet in grade nine. I don't know why. I feel like it's like some like unspoken mandatory thing. <laughs> I may have gotten those mixed up. This may have been my second, but I'm pretty confident it was the first one. Nice. Well, that's exciting. That's like a nostalgia visit for you. (laughs) I honestly don't remember if I liked it at the time because it was so long Mm. ago. And I probably didn't care in my angsty high school phase, but... Yeah, that's fair. I did this time. I feel like my angsty high school phase was like, you know the best friend in 10 Things I Hate About You who dresses in like Elizabethan garb and she has a photo of William Shakespeare in her locker who she like puts lipsticks like kisses on like that was like kind of my angsty high school phase um never exactly (laughs) i mean we are long lost twins so call us viola and sebastian by the end of this (laughs) but yeah so you liked it i i did like it i well i'll wait until we get into more detailed stuff but i think i liked the b plot more than the main plot (laughs) That's hilarious because I did not pay attention to the B-plot as much as I should have. I know that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I liked it. I thought it was good. And I have a confession that I read like the first two acts. But then this weekend was super crazy because I'm currently finishing up grad school. So then for the rest of it, I watched the play version. And that just, that was great. I think I'm going to do that next time too, because I like reading it, but I like hearing it. I know we've talked about that before. But then in my mind, I was like, is this cheating? Is this like the equivalent of like, you know, like when that one friend in high school is like, oh yeah, like I didn't read the book. I just watched the movie. But then like back then it was probably like, oh yeah, I didn't read the play. I just watched it. So I was like, is this a a lazy person's way out? I don't know. But I I did really enjoy it. I have a confession. I did the same thing for our oh. Juliet episode. <laughs> oh, snap. Did you watch the, the Leonardo DiCaprio version? No, the 2013 one. Oh, with, um, I don't know who was in that. I don't know why I acted like <laughs> I did, but that's cool. I, I did follow along with the play, so it was only half cheating. No, that's okay. I mean, it's a play. It should be experienced. I didn't have the same excuses that you do, because I wasn't finishing grad <laughs> school at the time, so. Well, you'll be starting it soon enough, so <laughs> that counts. <laughs> so highlights of the play what do you think 
highlights of the play. I definitely feel like Maria gave me like the nursemaid from Romeo and Juliet vibes, which I loved. Um, and then like I wrote down this one line, which I think is like the epitome of dating, um, where Viola says, I am not I am not what I am. And Olivia says, I would you were as I would have you be. And I was like, Whew! every dating story I have heard, not from you, Austin, because you have a great relationship, but <laughs> every dating story. I have heard people are always like, oh, like, why won't they just be how I want them to? And then that got me thinking, like, this is essentially, like, your friends telling you their dating stories. Like, there's so many, like, miscommunications. <laughs> like, there's some, like, hidden truths that are coming to light. Um, and so I was like, this is essentially, like, grade five dating because Orsino sends Viola to send letters on his behalf to Olivia. And I'm like... It's like you're passing notes in class, but, like, more demanding. There's one thing that confused me. Is there any reason given why Olivia dressed as a man and didn't just... Oh, Viola? Oh, Viola? What did I say? Olivia. Oh, I, was, yeah. I was, like, oh, I mixed up. <laughs> no. Um, Viola dressing as a man. It was, like, during the shipwreck when she was coming out of it. I feel like she needed a job, did she say? Because I remember there was that exchange at the beginning when she was talking to one of the guys and she was like, yes, I'll leave my like feminine garbs here. And I think it was for work, but I could be wrong. Don't quote me. I was thinking she could have just stayed as a woman and woman and just served Olivia instead of the Duke. But who am I to say? <laughs> this could be an instance of us. Maybe we, we I should have reviewed Spark Notes before. I don't, I don't remember the answer. Um, I think that's like something that happens to me often though in these plots, like the little parts of the play like slip away from me because I'm so focused on like the language that he uses, which I think is so beautiful and eloquent. Like uh-huh. I wrote down the other thing that I really loved where it's like Viola talking to herself and she literally says like time, like thou must entangle. She doesn't say like. No, it says like in, in Shakespeare's plays like I do. Um, sorry. Time. Actually, I, watch with, I have a watch with that quote on it. Whoa! Okay, you read it. You read it. You know it better than me. So it goes in a circle. Okay. Oh, time. Thou must entangle this. It is too hard a knot for me to untie. Snaps. It's beautiful. It's poetic. It's gorgeous. As soon as... Like, I read that line, I was like, wow, like, this is beautiful. And that's why I can't remember other plot points, because I'm so focused on the silly things that I think are beautiful. We did a plot summary, right? Yes. Should we do a full spoilers plot summary for those who don't know? Cool. Take it away. Okay. So the play begins in Illyria. There's a shipwreck. Viola washes on shore. And like you said, she needs to make a living. So she disguises herself as a man. And works in the service of the Duke of the country, Orsino. Orsino, yeah. Who's in love with the Lady Olivia. So he sends Viola, disguised as Cesario, to woo Olivia on behalf of the Duke. And Olivia kind of rebuffs all the Duke's advances, but she falls in love with Viola, disguised as Cesario. So as that develops, it turns out that Viola's twin brother was also on the shipwreck but survived after being presumed dead. And he also arrives in the same city to which Olivia finds him in the city and believes him to be a Cesario and they get married, which I find to be weird because he's just kind of, (laughs) I'll go with this. I'll take it. (laughs) Like They don't have my size, but I'll just take the next one up. 
And in the end, all the characters come together and see that there's two of Sebastian slash Cesario, and yep. all the identities are revealed, and everyone gets a happy ending. Except for the B-plot, which is the members of Olivia's household, mm-hmm. which is her uncle, right? Yes. Her uncle and his friend, who are both knights, and they're just the servants of the house. Mm-hmm. There's one servant they don't like, so they prank him relentlessly. Yes. And in the end, he swears revenge. And he probably won't get revenge because he's kind of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the beautiful summary. That that captures that. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, Austin. That was wonderful. It's definitely a more uplifting play after doing Titus Andronicus last time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, <laughs> in, like, watching the actual play, there was a part where, like, the actors did, like, a little song, like, a little singing of one of the lines. And I thought it was so funny. It was like them saying like hold thy peace pretty pretty hold thy peace and obviously I'm saying it in a really deadpan way but the way they sang it was so funny I was like uh, okay it was just so random and I was like should I be saying that to friends who are like not holding their chill <laughs> like pretty hold thy peace <laughs> like it was just so funny um so I really like that that's gonna be when somebody acts up on the bus <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yep there were a lot of really funny parts in the play. The one part I really liked was when Olivia's uncle and his friend try to duel Viola dressed as Cesario, thinking that she's stealing the attentions of uh, Olivia. Mm-hmm. So they each talk up the other person to each other. So the uncle talks up his friend to Cesario, saying, like, oh, he's going to kill you. He's so tough. And then they say the exact same thing to the uncle's friend. Oh, my gosh. So the uncle's all raring for a fight, and he gets the news. He goes, oh, no, I don't want to fight him. I'll give him my horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, there was, like, so many little funny moments like that where I was like, oh, this is a nice touch. <laughs> it adds a lot to it. I also have it in my head that all the clown characters and all of Shakespeare's plays... Are part of a collective? Char- <gasps> I think all just this, the one same character just existing in different time periods. Oh, my God. That is so much better than mine. In my head, I was like... They all have, like, a club, and they get together to, like, lament the morons they have to deal with. They're, like, they think, we're the fools. Get this. Get what get what my guy did. I, like that. I want there to be, like, a guild or association for, like, all servants or entertainers in Shakespeare's plays where they can go and just unwind and be, like, you will never guess what this chick did. Um, <laughs> my favorite character was Maria, who is Olivia's maid. She was sassy, and she gave me, like, nursemaid from Romeo and Juliet vibes. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I love that. I think the clown is actually my favorite character. Yeah? Well, we both chose side characters this time. <laughs> Who are we? We're singing and making fun of people. <laughs> yeah, they're living their best lives. They really make the whole play. Okay, so I wanted to ask, did you find the plot of the play believable? Yes. Okay. I think, like, the part where it was, like, talking about Viola in disguise, I was like, yeah, I could see that happening. Because that happened in history a lot of times. Like, there are several instances where women would kind of masquerade as men to get done what they needed to. Um, So that part was. And also, like, the amount of, again, ridiculous dating stories I have heard, like, through the media or just, like, people I know. Yeah, I could see that happening. People are crazy. (laughs) What about you? What were your thoughts? I did not find it believable. I found it very entertaining because it's mm-hmm. obviously like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you should have done this to make it more believable. But yeah, 
I just found the believability kind of fell apart when Sebastian showed up. Mm-hmm. Olivia mm-hmm. went and married him and couldn't tell the difference, even though she's supposed to be so in love with him. Well, I I found that a little bit believable. I don't know, Austin. I feel like we've seen instances of like people like believing what they need to to get what they want. I don't know. And Sebastian just showed up from a shipwreck after three months. <laughs> And he's supposed to be clean-shaven and completely clean to look like Viola Wedge dressed as a man. <laughs> hey, but every dystopian movie, like, the girl always has plucked eyebrows and she's, like, contoured up. I'm like, it's the, it's the end of the world. Are you are you for real? <laughs> like, Unless Viola's disguise as Cesario had a disheveled beard, which would match her brother being lost at sea for three months. Touche. Touche. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But then again, I you don't really go to Shakespeare for something really believable, so I'm not gonna make that a heavy criticism. Oh, that's okay. You can criticize it. He won't he won't be offended. <laughs> I I meet him at book club sometimes. He's chill. He's a chill guy. <laughs> Got a fancy collar, but a, a low maintenance personality, that man. Um going through my mind too was like I feel like this would be a really fun play for a costume designer to work on. Oh yeah. Because there's, like, so many options and so many ways to portray what's going on. I thought that would be really cool. I read something, too, about in Shakespeare's time, female characters will be played by young men. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. character Viola will be played by a bo- <laughs> playing a woman, playing a man. So that's... Meta. Really, I find that really... Yeah, meta. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, what must be going on in your mind when you're, like, trying to get into character that you're like, hold on, <laughs> like... Let me just clear the cobwebs here. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess that would make it more believable on stage back then if it was a man just as a woman just as a man because he'd be like, oh, it looks like a man. That makes sense. You're right. Maybe that is like part of it that I didn't even think about. Yeah, there's so many layers to this. God. Costumes and character layers. Like Shrek said. <laughs> Onions peel the layers back. <laughs> Sorry. I read... A lot of analyses online about this one. There's a lot of like meta narrative referencing characters mm. playing acts, like almost breaking the fourth wall, you could say. Wow. Which I found really interesting. Yeah, I would find that interesting too. That's really cool. Like when Viola meets Olivia for the first time, as sorry, I'm dropping stuff all over the place. <laughs> okay. I can't find the quote, but there's something about Olivia not being who she is, who mm-hmm. you audience sees. So. That's kind of one of the layers of the meta narrative, which I found really interesting. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. Like when I was like reading parts like that too, I was like, oh yeah, like I guess we all kind of feel like that, or like it's a relatable feeling at least, where it's like you aren't what you seem, or like people are perceiving you in a different way than you want. But I think it's more obvious with Viola you know playing Cesario and I think that like allows a lot more exploration to happen in terms of like description uh-huh I thought that's it's a really good point you made I thought it's a really interesting insight into the notions of gender they had at the time too uh-huh yeah I agree obviously gender roles that's still something that's highly debated today but mm-hmm. what was expected of female and male I guess in this case it would be working class people because they're both or Olivia plays a, or no, sorry. Viola. Viola plays a working class man, I guess, being a servant, would you say? Even though she is from a highborn family? I think so. I think it's like layers of service. I think Viola 
as Cesario is like a little bit higher up because if you're working directly for the Duke I think you might be like I don't know there's all these levels and like aristocracy that I don't fully understand I think she's definitely playing lower than her normal social class though okay well yeah that's a good point I mean like it, it just it just goes to show you that like even like a lower class like you could still do more things as the opposite gender than you could if you were a higher class uh-huh. woman which is a really interesting element of the play as well one point i kind of found weird was that we don't know where sebastian and viola were coming from and where they were going mm-hmm. for the shipwreck they're not really too concerned about getting to where they were going or going back to where they came from it's just like the first movie of frozen we don't know what Anna and Elsa's parents were doing, um, they just went on that ship and it, it got wrecked. And they wound up as the parents on Tarzan. Dun 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 dun, conspiracies abound, you heard it here first. <laughs> Disney, do not sue us. <laughs> okay, I know with a lot of Shakespeare's plays, it's hard to find a clear-cut genre, but would you consider this more a comedy or a romance? I think comedy. Because it's yeah. not too romantic. Like, yeah. really, if you break it down... Especially considering that, like, Duke Corsini is like, yeah, you look okay. I mean, Olivia didn't work out, but just hop on over with me. We'll get this done. Um, (laughs) So I think that's, like, more pointing towards a comedy. And that makes sense for the time, right? Like, romantic reasons for marriage is not super common then anyway. So Mm -hmm. it lines up to me. (laughs) It tracks. I think this is one of a rare Shakespeare play, too, where there's no central villain. Yeah, good point. I didn't even think about that. Malvolio was kind of the villain of the B plot, but he's still kind of a victim in that case. Yeah. Malvolio, he gets. What happens to Malvolio? They forge a letter saying it's from Olivia, saying that she's in love with her servant Malvolio. Mm-hmm. And he goes all head over heels, and they say in the letter, Oh, act above your station. So he starts to act all high and mighty. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks he goes mad, so they tie him up and throw him in a closet. <laughs> That's rough. He got gaslit. They have, they have the clown dress up as a priest. Oh my god. To make him think he's possessed. <laughs> and at the end of this, go, oh no, it's just a prank, bro. Walk it off. Walk it off, Malvolio. You're gonna be okay. Could you imagine? That's that's shady. Yeah, that's prime and gaslighting. He goes off and goes, I'm gonna get revenge on all of you. And, and then Duke just goes, nah, you won't. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> they got him. They got him that round. Yeah, I like that. Like did you want to talk more about She's the Man? Sure, I do. The answer is always yes to that question. Um, I haven't seen it in many, many years, but I don't typically like adaptations which uh-huh. modernize things and change, like with the case with that modern Pride and Prejudice where it's Chip Bingley. Oh, Chip. Oh, uh, that's a good. That's I, a good I think stuff like that is cheesy, like how they made Channing Tatum's character's first name Duke. I like, like it. <laughs> I can't help it. I think that like Duke is such like a jock. We. I'm so sorry for anyone's eardrums that I just ruined. By the way, I I couldn't contain it when Channing Tatum is involved. My voice just. I don't know. Anyway, I like it. I mean, like he's like the prime. Like, I never had a crush on a jock in a 2000s movie or TV show, except for Duke Corsini. And you know what? He he made them human. And what I think that, like, going back to what you were saying about Twelfth Night and, like, gender, there's so many different layers of analysis we could pile on that. 
but breaking it down like I really do think that like it probably was like even though it was comedy it's kind of a vehicle for like commentary on the social class of women and what they were allowed to do and similarly what I think is unique is that during the 2000s there was a big wave of like um support and promotion of girls playing soccer girls and women I should say and this kind of like like Becca movement bend it like Becca movement are we film majors hell yes we are um so bend it like Beckham really capitalized on that but what happened was there was so much like popularity surrounding like Beckham and like players like Mia Hamm um I remember like playing soccer for a long time I wasn't great at it but it was like a big thing in my family. Like my grandfather played soccer and he was super good at it. My uncles did, my dad did. And then like, I was kind of like the first girl and they were like, well, what do we, okay. And then you're going to play soccer too. And so it was a big thing in our family. And I remember like, I was just at the age where all these movies were coming out. And like, I, I could see like, you know, bend it like Beckham characters. She's the man characters. And like, I think she's the man really comes back. And again, is like, okay, here's a traditionally very male dominant space. Here's a vehicle for 12th night to be applied. And I think it's a really great point somehow. I think this is the first time in our five years of friendship that I've heard you talk about sports. I know I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big sporty person. I enjoy playing soccer. Um, but like, I, I think I only did like five years and then I was out. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I really liked kind of like the movie because it's hilarious. Um, it does follow the play pretty closely, like comparing both of them. And it was just a, a great time. That's the one with Eunice, right? Yes. Love she always creeped me out when I was, so, when I was younger. I love Eunice. We all have a Eunice friend. Well, girls, <laughs> girls all have a Eunice friend. Um, my neighbors would always do the units. Oh, that's one that I remember. The I brought you breakfast, darling. <laughs> <laughs> no. My neighbors she... would tease me with that line all the time. Oh, and like as the, uh, another thing too is like, okay, some parts of it did not age well. I'm going to say that now because there's like certain depictions of things where it's like, okay, like this didn't age well. It's not really feminist in like some depictions of girls, but. Like, for its time, it was pretty good. And I love the fact that Eunice ends up with another jock who's, like, uh, like pr- averagely good-looking in his own way. Everybody's averagely good-looking. No one's as good-looking as Henry, obviously. But it's, like, um, she ends up with, like, a popular guy. And he's just as into her. And you know what I mean? And, like, that's an important element, too, where I was, like, I, I'm happy that Eunice wasn't just, like, the butt of the joke. Because that's, that's true, rude and she she's like smart and like fun and pretty and so I was like you know what good for you she's the man it could have been better but you tried and for your time period not bad I was I don't think I've ever seen any other other adaptations of this play have you I, you said you were watching a play version of it when you were trying to finish it right yeah like there's some good ones online if you're ever curious like lots of Shakespeare companies cover it um in terms of movies, I can't think of another one. Although I, I do think there was there was one of the eighties with Helena Bottom Carter. I'm pretty <gasps> sure. You're kidding. You know how I feel about Helena. <laughs> I love her. She's my curly, frizzy-haired icon with weird fashion sense, and she's where I derive all my inspiration. We're watching the fifth Harry Potter movie. She's about to kill Sirius Black. Dun 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 dun. Spoilers for this spoken movie. We're not talking about this episode. <laughs> I forgot she was in that. 
<laughs> I can't believe that. I'll look up who else was in that adaptation. It seems interesting. It looks it's like a more faithful adaptation of the play than the She's the Man, okay. obviously. You guys can't see this at home, but um, because of my teeth issues, I'm like touching my tooth with my thumb. And now I'm thinking of in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet when they're like, I bite my thumb at you. And I'm not trying to bite my thumb at Austin, but it looks like I am. Just you, the listener, biting your thumb too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing we're friends and you know that I'm not uh, trying to <laughs> start a fight. Okay, I found the cast for the rest of that film. It came out in 1996. Oh. Recognize a whole lot of the other actors. There's okay. Imogen Stubbs as Viola. Hmm. Tony Stevens as Orsino. Okay. Elena Bonham Carter as Olivia. Stephen McIntosh as Sebastian. And a bunch of other names I don't recognize. Richard E. Grant as Sir Andrew Ogcheek. Oh. And Ben Kingsley as the clown, which would be interesting. Intriguing. I don't know any other names other than Helena. But it sounds... You don't know Ben King? No. Huh. Would I know him if I saw him? Probably. He's okay. bald, got a big nose. <laughs> no. I'll yeah, just make the, I... the photo for this episode, uh, a picture of Ben Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is him that you guys can't see at home. Oh, I know that guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you guys will too if you look him up. Well, Austin, do you have any more thoughts on the play? I think that's all for me. How would you rank our play so far? We've done three. Oh, I think right now, Romeo and Juliet won. Twelfth Night 2 and Titus Andronicus takes the third place. <laughs> I feel like it's going to move up the more we go down. We should keep a running running track of our rankings as we go. Like, like fantasy football, but fantasy Shakespeare. <laughs> that's two, two sports references in one episode. Who is she? Who is she? Swear words in sports? You're welcome. You didn't know you made friends with a jock, did you? Just call me Duke. The t-shirt you're wearing right now looks like a soccer shirt, too. It does, but it's not. It's just an old work shirt. You totally could have played it off. Yeah, it's my jersey, bro. <laughs> okay, my ranking. Uh, is it cheating to say I have them all tied for now? No, that's a fair answer. That's a good answer. I like them all for different reasons. Like I said, I like Titus Andronicus just because of how over the top it is. Not mm -hmm. in terms of like a story or its characters or anything. Yeah. I like this one for its comedy mostly. Mm -hmm. And I like Romeo and Juliet for the story. Yeah. That's a really eloquent ranking, Austin. If somehow we could make all three plays into one. Oh, man. That would probably be the best thing that's ever been made. <laughs> probably. That would be <laughs> spectacular. Romeo and Twelfth Andronicus. <laughs> we have to make that movie now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks hey, for. <laughs> That's about it for this week. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, we hope you liked it, and you know, we can't wait to talk about more life with one, you. Actually, one last question. Would you suggest somebody watches She's the Man before looking into Twelfth Night? Yes. But that's just I think that's, that's the good thing about the modern adaptations, because you can get more of a grasp on the story and the character and stuff if you don't know Shakespeare's language and whatnot. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking, too. If you like Shakespeare already and you have no problem with the language, feel free to dive right in. But if you don't and you're looking for a good way to dip your toe in, yeah, that's what I would suggest. It's like how, I've, like, Clueless is, like, an adaptation of Emma... She's the man is Twelfth Night. 
that's all I got. <gasps> West Side the... Story. Sorry. <laughs> West Side Story is like based on Romeo and Juliet. Probably for the first 10 years after seeing Cheese the Man, I had no idea it was an adaptation of Shakespeare. So, whoa, mind blown. They're pretty subtle about it. They're sneaky. <laughs> well, thanks for a great okay. episode, Austin. Yeah, thanks for chatting. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. We hope you have a good week. I will see you next week.